And now listen for God's word coming to us in Scripture. Tonight's reading comes from the prophet Isaiah, the ninth chapter. You will recognize much of this uh, from Christmas time, uh, but the first verse is particularly appropriate given our Lenten theme of rising out of darkness. Again, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here ends the reading. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, by the way, Rachel, for your beautiful music. Always good to have you with us. And Linda, thank you for your music as well, of course. Um, a few weeks ago, I preached on one of these uh, Wednesday evening services, and uh, my text for that night came from the prophet Isaiah, the 60th chapter, uh, which reads, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. And then the, that important word, but, despite that darkness, but, the Lord shall arise, and his glory shall be seen upon you. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. And I mentioned uh, that passage, which is perfect for our theme, you know, rising out of darkness. It includes words like uh, darkness, of course, and glory, and brightness, and light, and rising. I mentioned that I cannot read those uh, words, that particular passage, without thinking of Handel's Messiah, because those are, in fact, the exact words in the King James Version of a famous bass solo that, it, that comes at the beginning of the Messiah. And we talked that night about how uh, the music that Handel wrote supports those words uh, beautifully by moving from the darkness to the light, uh, by moving from a minor key to a major key. And he does it in that particular piece gently and quietly, almost imperceptibly, but it's there, supporting not only the text, but I think also reinforcing our experience of, of darkness and light in this lifetime. So that was a few weeks ago. Tonight, uh, the passage, which I just read, the longer version, but I'll just read the, the first little bit, comes from earlier in the prophet Isaiah, the ninth chapter, uh, the second verse, which reads this. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, or in another trans translation, 
those that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, on them light has shined. So again, uh, powerful images of darkness and light. Uh, this is actually the passage that we've been including in our uh, information and in our communications about this Lenten theme. Those of you who are familiar with Handel's Messiah, though, will not be surprised when I say when I read these verses, I also cannot help but think of Handel's Messiah because these words also are the words to a bass solo. It actually comes right on the heels of the bass solo I talked about a couple weeks ago. They almost form a single unit, even though they are two separate pieces. Um, they're not very long together, maybe five minutes, something like that. And as in the first piece, um, this second piece is written so beautifully by Handel that uh, he supports it by moving back and forth, in that case, from minor to major, again, gently and quietly reflecting not only, again, the text, but also our, our lived, I will call it our lived experience of darkness and light. So I, I read this passage and I thought, well, I'm, I've got to say something about the Messiah because I cannot not say something about the Messiah when I read these verses. But then I assumed that I would also then have to sort of have a caveat or a disclaimer that, you know, I'm only in these passages talking about um, these short uh, pieces within the Messiah, a couple of pieces, again, that total about five minutes. I'm not talking about the entirety of that towering, majestic, incredible piece. But then I started thinking, well, I don't know, maybe I should look into that a little bit, which I did, and maybe some of you know this. It turns out, and I'm talking here about the music of the Messiah, not uh, the words, it turns out uh, you can talk about the Messiah, the work, the oratorio as a whole in terms of moving from darkness to light, and in fact, people do. Here's what one person writes. Although Messiah is not in any particular key, Handel's tonal scheme, so that means the various keys he moves us through as we're going through it, has been summarized as, I love this quote, an aspiration towards D major. At which point, you may very rightly want to say, Tim, I did not come out on a Wednesday night to come to church to get a lesson in music theory, which I concede. I recognize that, and I am not prepared to give you a lesson in music theory. But I love this line because of the, the words that come after it. Again, so this person argues that the entirety of the Messiah uh, has been summarized as an aspiration towards D major. Why is that important? Because... That is the key musically associated with, wait for it, light and glory. And he goes on to say, as the oratorio moves forward with various shifts in key to reflect changes in mood, that key, D major, emerges at significant points. It is the key in which the work reaches its triumphant ending, which ends, you may know this, uh, with that beautiful, worthy is the Lamb, and then the final Amen, both of which are in that bright, glorious, light-filled key of D major. Now, I want to say a couple of things about that. First of all, in terms of the narrative, the story that's being told through the words of the Messiah, the, the oratorio, the conclusion there is when? 
It's at the end of time. It's when we are face-to-face with God. It's when it's D major every day, all the time, where there's nothing but light and glory. I don't want to shock you, but I want you to know we are not there yet. And I think that's important to point out. It's not, I don't think it's depressing to say that. I think it's honest. We try to speak the truth here. It's realistic. It reminds us that in our own lives, right? Our lives, our very lives are a mixture of what? Darkness and light. Minor and major keys. We in this lifetime are still aspiring to D major all the time. Now, we could talk about that any time we were here, but I think particularly right now in our culture, it may be appropriate to reinforce that point. We are, praise God, let us hope, let us pray, coming to the final chapters of this pandemic. And so I think it is possible that we might be assuming, well, we're moving from a time of darkness, and only exclusively darkness, to a time post-pandemic, in the new normal after the pandemic's over, of only lightness and brightness. And I guess I want to say tonight, I think that's misguided for a couple reasons. First of all, yes, we obviously uh, uh, recognize the disruption, the pain, uh, the loss, the difficulties of the past year. But I think we also all would acknowledge that the past year has not been only or exclusively dark. There have been moments of joy and love and light and peace. Can I get an amen to that? So that's one problem with that sort of binary, we're going to flip the switch from darkness to light. The other is, as we look to post-pandemic world, uh, it would be irresponsible of us to think, um, well, it's only going to be bright and light after the pandemic's over. We're all smart enough to know that is simply not true. And again, I don't think it's depressing to point it out. I think it's uh, reasonable. And I think it's important to say it. Why? So that as we live into this next chapter of a new normal, we can be kind and forgiving and understanding and filled with grace, both to ourselves and to one another, in the world, in our country, in our community, in our schools, in our places of business, and yes, here in the church. So we, again, we live in a time when we are aspiring still towards D major all the time, every day. Follow me? Okay, so that's the first point I want to make broadly. The second point is related to it, and that is that as Christians, everything I just said is absolutely true. And here's that word that was so important a couple weeks ago and that shows up in, in the reading I'm about to read. All that, everything I just said is true. But, but, as Christians, we trust and believe that we know how the story is going to end. We trust and believe that it will end in that bright, glorious, light-filled D major, which informs the way we live right now, filled with hope and joy and peace because of God's love for us. And I want to conclude my brief reflections, both this is 
for tonight. And this will conclude the messages for this uh, Lenten series with a few words from Mother Teresa. She's not talking here specifically about darkness and light, but I think what she says is translatable into those categories. And I think it's a beautiful reminder of the powerful and light-filled love that we receive through Jesus. So this is from a little, it's from this book, Bread and Wine, Readings for Lent and Easter. I mentioned it last time I was up here. It's from a little piece by her. Again, this is Mother Teresa called, I Thirst for you. And she writes it as if Jesus is speaking directly to us, or the person reading it is reading words from Jesus. So here is what she writes. I know, again, the I here is Jesus. I know every one of your problems. I know your need and your worries. And yes, I know all your sins. Problems, need, worries, sins. That sounds pretty dark. And then that word, but, but I tell you again that I love you. Not for what you have done or haven't done. I love you for you. For the beauty and dignity my Father gave you by creating you in his own image. It's a dignity you have often forgotten, a beauty you have often tarnished by sin. Again, light and darkness, darkness mixed together. But I love you as you are, and I have shed my blood to win you back. My dear friends, we are about to enter the most holy time of the church year, Palm Sunday, which is the start of Holy Week, a time when we remember and recount and retell the mighty deeds of that God who loved us so much that he shed his blood for us. I pray that as we remember that story, we will be reminded of a love that is so bright that no darkness can ever overcome it. Amen.